Good afternoon, fuckers. Yeah, Ramon uh, doesn't like my apparent radio voice. So Wait, you sound like a younger version of John Robbie, for God's sake. Yeah, don't uh, don't compare me to that village idiot. Uh, welcome, that's my radio voice. Welcome to the Renegade Report. Uh, so good news, we've uh, we've been renewed for uh, forevermore. Well, I'm sure they'll stop us at some point. Surely we'll say something completely offensive. Uh, and then, and then they will kill us. Uh, the music in the background has been complained about too, so let's kill that. Um, we like it, so it's staying. Well, fifty percent of us like it, and this isn't a democracy. I was just about to say that people think that we need to be balanced and objective. No bullshit. We're not. Um, we are objectively offensive and uh, truthful. Because we used facts and data and evidence and all those other good things. Yeah, yeah and, and, and six shows, six shows in, um, for the record, we were told by uh, some people, which is the reason why uh, we were only going to have six, is because there was a lot of belief the show wouldn't work. Uh, we would have uh, very few listeners and be a small fringe. And we are top five, Cliff Central. Well, top five last week. Um, we'll see after the show where we are. But we won't divulge that yet. Just know that we are doing extremely well. So thank you all um, fellow racists and misogynists. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your support, especially the uh, female misogynists that we have listening. Um, we appreciate your support. Especially if you're lesbians. We love the lesbians. Cool. So um, six, uh, six good shows. Uh, we had some really great guests on. Uh, any comments, Ramon, looking back on it? Not really. I mean, (laughs) we chose these guests because they had something interesting to say. They were very interesting, um, as you know, as you can see from the downloads. And some of them were actually quite prophetic. So, you know, Fees Must Fall is rising up again and being all fascistic and being, you know, sexual assaulters of of burning buildings, yeah, and sexual assaulting lesbians. You know, just just the typical progressive. I don't know, march, Behavior. march to something or other. Well, they, they did rename a building to Solomon Mafangu House uh, instead of Senate House. You know, Senate, Senate being very oppressive, um, those damn Romans. Yeah, absolutely. Um, who is Solomon Mafangu? He was a apartheid activist, uh, although he wasn't that active. Uh, from the little I've read on him, he basically uh, dropped out of school, uh, joined the resistance uh, became part of Mkontu Sizwe and uh, came back uh, into the country, uh, killed a few people. So he got into a gunfight with uh, the police or the military services or someone like that back in the day. Uh, and four civilians were caught in the crossfire. Right. And him and some of his co-conspirators uh, sort of or whatever you want to call them uh, were tried and found guilty of murder and they were hung. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, whatever. And they can rename it to Susie's building. Like, I don't really actually care whatsoever. Um, but yes, anyway, Jonathan, what did you, you know, feel about, I guess, being a, a very conservative man that you are? Um, <laughs> so conservative. A Donald Trump acolyte. 
Uh, yeah, Donald Trump acolyte. Um, how do we get there? Like, how do, how do I become the Donald fucking Trump acolyte on the show? Uh, so I'm just the, the, the freedom of speech acolyte. There you go. Unless you want to claim it. Oh, uh, much more than you. You still <laughs> think hate speech should exist? I don't. No, I, I don't think hate speech should exist. I think, um, I think, but I do think there's problem with speech that incites violence, if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, but I mean, if you, if you, if you tell a crowd, oh, go burn Muslims, and they do, well, those people are culpable for murder. Why? What, what do the words have to do with anything? Yeah, so then we might disagree. I mean, maybe you're more of a free speech absolutist, which you've always claimed to be. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think uh, we've had some interesting suggestions. Uh, we ran a poll on Twitter. None of you want to discuss racism, uh, as usual, and again, proven by more data, although it is just a small poll. Racism is just not really an issue to most people. No, exactly. That's why we're talking about uh, the impeachment debate of this past week. I thought it was fantastic. The middle class in moral indignation, you know, shouting, clutching their pearls. How can these people, you know, protect their president? Do these morons know anything about the inner workings of the ANC whatsoever? <laughs> I think they do. I think people were quite hopeful. I think, I think that they thought just maybe someone would say, well, you know, he's a bad guy and we should probably get rid of him. Maybe that's just too idealistic. But 86% or whatever it is of the National Executive Council, you know, owe him their jobs. So the, the moral choice for them was, okay, we will take Zuma out as president, but we'll lose all our jobs. And these people are not employable anywhere else because they're morons, right? <laughs> Can you imagine Vikile Balula? What is he going to be? A mascot for a second entire dealer. Yeah, well, he can he can jerk off uh, Floyd Mayweather. He can become. I'm sure someone does that on a daily basis. He so he can he can be the fluffer. He yeah, can be, yeah, Floyd's fluffer. Yeah, no, but but that's the thing, right? People are going to look for, out for their own self interests. Yeah, look, uh, we've said it before. I mean, we've said that you know Jacob Zuma surrounded himself with a whole bunch of people who are his supporters. He's uh, put people into positions that they shouldn't be in based on their qualifications or their know how. Uh, but they're there because they support him and they'll defend him to the end, which they've done. Uh, it just, it's, it's, uh, it's quite disappointing. I think some people look at it and they go, all right, well, Gwede is saying some things we kind of like and Derek Hanakom saying some, some things we kind of like. And there's some senior guys and ladies who are saying the right things. And then when it comes down to the crunch, they won't kind of do the right things. Um, and yeah, I, but I, I mean, if they have a plan, they won't do it in public, right? The ANC is like a closed church. So if if the the you know the the ballot was public, so people will see how they voted. So they're not going to play their hand in public in Parliament. There's a counter argument to that, which is if you do play that hand in public, potentially if it ends up going your way, uh, you end up being very powerful. Uh, so for example, had a group of say ten people voted for his impeachment as part of the ANC group. Uh, no doubt they would have been fired from Parliament, uh, you know, the next day, uh, and they would have been removed from any kind of high ANC ranks. But it it may have created a chain reaction in which uh, the process of Zuma being sort of removed happens uh, because people then feel brave enough to start kind of stand out. And I, I think part of that chain reaction has already started happening. Uh, we had 
Uh, what's that chick's name? Uh, she former she. Juma says he doesn't know who she is, but she was at the the, 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 the uh, sorry the uh, Zupta's house, the Gupta's house. Um, fakey, fakey mentor. Fakey mentor. So you, you know uh, uh, she's not big enough to cause the chain reaction. But after she said things, other people have started to say things. It sort of creates an environment of, yeah. kind of comfort. No, come on. The only people actually speaking are the ones who have jobs elsewhere. Trevor Manuel, head of whatever Investec. You know, um, who else spoke out? Tito Mbueni, he works for Goldman Sachs. Like, none of these people are beholden to Zuma. So, obviously, they would be able to talk out or speak out. Yeah, I, but I, do you think none of those people want jobs in the ANC or in government? I think, I mean, I think Tito Mbueni would love to be our finance minister or even more, you know, our, our, our president, our deputy president. I think he has eyes on those kinds of things. But why would he? He's earning million, millions yeah. a year being beholden to shareholders who love him a lot. And why would he want to, to cut his wages in half or by 75% and have all the pressure of the economy on his shoulders? Well, why? why would Donald Trump want that? And it's a very simple answer. People like power more than they like money. So th- that's, that's why these, these people, I think, they want to be involved. Um, and just getting back to it, I think if those sort of, if a group of people had done it in parliament, it may have created, I'm not saying it definitely would have, but it may have done enough uh, to tell people in Parliament, in the inner circle, because those 233 people are essentially the inner circle, uh, as well as the the Premier League, um, it would have done enough to to potentially turn people against Zuma, and then you know, when the next time the NEC meets or something, you may have a different result. That said, we we don't have that. Nobody's brave enough. Nobody's going to do it for what you're saying is basically protecting their own skins, which I can't disagree with. Uh, so we have Jacob Zuma until, well, 2019. I, people are going, well, oh no, now elections are in August, so we'll get rid of him in August. It's a fucking local election, you morons. It, we don't vote for the national government in August. The absolute worst thing that can happen is that the ANC can lose control of cities and, and, and councils and towns. It's, it's, and I don't think they would give a shit, frankly. And, uh, Honestly put, it might not be the end of the world in terms of a government structure because what you would have then is the opposition, whoever that is, the DA, the EFF most likely, um, running cities and towns uh, with the ANC running the national government. And, well, if you can get rid of some of the morons who are in control of things in the ANC and get some of the more intelligent people in that party into certain positions, it might not be a bad setup. Yeah, but I think the ANC will act quite harshly if they lose a lot of support in the local elections. Because we must remember, the barometer for political parties are elections. You know, court judgments and Twitter and all these people think they're so fucking important. What counts is that percentage at the end of an election. So if the ANC lose 10% overall, they're going to look behind them and say, well, okay, now we really have to do something. That's, that's going to be the barometer. It's not going to be parliament by any means. And um, reasonably, do you think they'll lose the 10%, the 5% or whatever percent? Because if you think about it, firstly, we don't have that many voters in this country. So everyone thinks, oh, 50 million people. Well, a fair number of those are under 18. Uh, I don't know what the exact figure is, but it's probably around 10 million. Uh, and then of the other group that can vote, there's several uh, – what was the figure I saw, I saw the other day? It's uh, well, I think 45% of the electorate vote. Yeah, so you, around 20 million people vote somewhere, somewhere in that region. Somewhere around there, yeah. So the ANC, the ANC pulls in 10, 11 million voters last election. 
voted for them. Uh, only a million of those, and probably less, about 800,000 are actually ANC members. Um, so they managed to uh, increase their support by a figure of 10 when they go to the elections from the actual membership. Right. Um, I, I just, I, I, I would like to believe that they're going to lose support, but I, I'm just not convinced that they, they will. No, they will lose support. It just depends about how much, right? So, I mean, in Nelson Mandela municipalities, they won 52%, I believe, last time around. Yeah, like 51, I think it might have even been. I, mean, I, think they, the, I think they got very close to losing it. I mean, if they go down to minus 50% and the EFF and DA go in a coalition, they lose that municipality, right? That's why they parachuted Danny Yordan in there. And he's fired like 70 civil servants in eight months and cancelled all sorts of fraudulent tenders and not gone anywhere near switzerland or the united states no but here's here's the fucking irony if the anc are under pressure they actually do a pretty good job but they're not well so th this election might put them under pressure and force them to do a bloody good job uh, it's true it's true of any political party so it's what i've always said about south africa i don't believe we have a democracy currently so uh, it, in the setup of of what we have yes you can call it a democracy but it only really come, becomes a democracy when you have change of power and you're able to change power on a relatively regular basis between uh, parties without violence and without people losing their minds. Um, and the reality is, is I really couldn't actually care uh, who would take over. But if the ANC gets kicked out for five years, so these guys who are pocketing, let's take a, a member of parliament, they're pocketing close to 2 million rand a year. It's actually more because if you take their perks and benefits, you know, cars and housing and flights, etc., it's probably double that. It's probably, oh, yeah, who knows? You know, it's a few million. Three, four million rand a year uh, to, to be an MP. Uh, and let's remember they also don't work every day of the week either. They have a long break between sort of November and, and February. But they, but they work so hard they sleep in Parliament sometimes, let's just remember. Yeah, there they are some times where they have like long nights and, and then you can follow the parliamentarians often on Twitter telling you what a long single night they're having. In Cubana? Um, hey? At the Cubana. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, you know. It's a well-known bar, gotta by You've got to have, you have drinks and, and food, you know, to, to rule the country. Um, the point is, is these guys are earning a fortune. Uh, you suddenly... Uh, have a situation where you, you have a change in government and they lose their jobs. That's the only thing that's going to incentivize them to come back. And I would argue that if the ANC, say, loses the 2019 elections, which they won't, but if they did, if they lost 2019 and argument's sake, let's just take the DA because they're the current sort of majority, next majority vote holder, uh, if they took over for five years and after five years, 2024, people voted the ANC back in. You can better believe that the that ANC would be a far far better organisation and would run the country a lot better than they are currently. Yeah, but here's the thing: we don't need the ANC to lose. We just need the ANC to not have a majority. So if they are under fifty percent of the national vote, yeah. that is the best option to have. I, this I agree. So that's the other point about democracy, which is that any one party running parliament uh, is probably not the ideal situation. You know, we want to have all. All people being able to vote independently of their party. Well, Shock horror. Well, yeah, but I mean, oh, we already spoke about why they're not doing that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the ANC is not going to lose anytime soon. Like, I mean, the prediction is probably late 2020s. They might go under 50%. Mm, 2029, with, I think. Without, if they don't change anything, probably a bit sooner. But, I mean, in the end, it's, it's the other political parties 
who are, who are, by the way, who are facing like the, one of the worst periods in the ANC's history, and they, yet they failed to capitalize on this for reasons I cannot really fathom. How would they capitalize, though? I mean, what haven't they done? Well, how about stop attacking bloody Zuma all the time? Because Zuma is just one element. Want to talk about? So everyone talks about the general auditor, and he found thirty billion rand unaccounted for. Okay, great. That's zero point three percent of the fucking budget. What's happening to the other ninety nine point seven percent? And we're still in the shit. Why is no one talking about that? Why is no one talking about breaking unions? Why is no one talking about relaxing labor legislation? No one has any ideas. All they ever do is zuptimas fall and hashtags and bullshit and. Whatever, filibustering in uh, parliament, but there's no, there's no real, you know, uh, policies on the table to say this is what we're doing differently for the mm. ANC. And it's it's quite interesting because the ANC does have some good policies. If you read the actual wording of, of a lot of their policies, the election manifestos, um, the national development plan, which I, I honestly haven't read a lot of, but um, I, I know parts of it. There are good ideas. Uh, there are intelligent people who've put good ideas down onto paper. And if you if you implemented those things as they are written down, you probably would have relatively decent outcomes. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Never, ever, ever <laughs> mistake intention with consequence. Okay. But you have to have an idea. You have to have an idea which you assume to be good to start off with to go anywhere. And well, here's, here's, a fucking, here's a fucking idea. How about you stop doing so much, let people do what they need to do, hmm. and you just take basic tax but, off everyone. But, How's so, that? So, sure. And we've discussed the, the whole concept of, of minimizing government. But the reality is that uh, the ANC isn't going to do that, although the National Development Plan does have some things in it to make business more free, for example, to make right. employment more free um, and less constricted by bureaucracy and red tape. So, Which they created in the first which place. Which they created in the first place. But So that's the point I'm making, really, is that there are some good ideas in, the, in, in, those, in those structures. Yeah, I remain unconvinced. I'm not going to trust the people who created the problems <laughs> to sort them out. So you just want to burn down Parliament? Uh, no, not at all. That, that noise, by the way, is uh, is Ramon and his e-cigarette. Uh, no, I don't want to burn down Parliament at all. I don't believe in burning people for ideas. Um, I just, the building, the building. We can burn the building. Burn the we building. can be like uh, Fees Must Fall, man. It's, it's a nice piece of architecture. It's it's part of our history. Oh, maybe we may as well keep it. The people inside, though, that's a different thing entirely. Get rid of them. Let them find proper gainful employment. Yeah, and then we'll see uh, how much how much power they actually have. All right, so we both agree Zoom is not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what anyone says. Um, no, he'll remain till twenty seventeen NEC um, elections, the ANT elections in twenty seventeen. Do you think they might then, if he's not the president, recall him at that point? Because I heard a, an ANC person make this the the comment that. No, the Tabo Mbeki thing was different because he was no longer the president of the ANC. And therefore, um, because these idiots don't understand the separation of party and state, um, therefore, because he wasn't the president of the ANC, he no longer represented Lutuli House in a real sense. And so it was okay to recall him. And that's why that made sense. But recalling Zuma wouldn't. No, right. But he only has two terms. I think the end of his two terms comes in 2017. Yeah, yeah as ANC uh, president. As ANC president. I mean, after that, I mean, we'll need to see who they put in his place. So far, it seems to be his ex-wife, which is a bit of a problem to me because she will protect him. Like, she'll protect Baba. Yeah. As people like to call him. So, um, 
yeah, we're not going anywhere fast by any means. Who would you like to see as that uh, next person? I can't give a shit. I really can't. They're all, they're all <laughs> assholes. Like, but I you have I, to pick someone. If I had to pick someone, yeah, I'll pick Fikile. He's like the Donald Trump of South Africa, <laughs> without the success or or hair or hot wife. Um, I'll pick Fikile. He's a clown. He belongs there. So Fikile and Balula as our next president. That's okay. Amandla, yeah. as they say. Charming. All right. So there's the anarchist uh, in uh, Ramon. The logical pragmatist uh, on this side of the table would like to see probably of the people with a reasonable chance of actually winning that uh, position. Uh, probably I'd, I'd pick Cyril if I had to pick someone. Come roll your eyes and tell us why. What a yawn. Cyril. Yeah. What's so great about the guy? The, the arch, okay, so the for, for, for Kile's got no hope in hell. So I mean, I could, I could say, I could turn around and go, all right. Well, if I was going to pick someone who's got no hope in hell, I'd pick Trevor Manuel, or I'd pick someone I believe who's got some good ideas and is really going to have a chance of doing something. But the reality is, it's between Nkosazana uh, Laminizuma and uh, and uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, and probably. Who's our third candidate at the moment? No, I would I would suggest Jeff Radebe. He's very quiet at the moment. Yeah, I, but, I don't know if he'll. But if, if he'll he's been ma- he's married to Montepi's sister, I believe. Mm. He's a Zulu, and he's been in government since '94. He holds a lot of power. He never he's never in public or whatever, but he holds a lot of power. Don't underestimate him. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, we can have this discussion about who who we'd like. The reality is. Uh, that it's it's well it's not going to be any of our choices, but also um, that it's not going to make a difference because remember all of these people have stood by their man, so there's no reason to believe. Yeah, that but any but change. you 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 think it's from loyalty? I think it's from pragmatic for pragmatic purposes. If they are going to take him out, they're going to do it internally, and they're certainly not going to tell the you know the country beforehand. And they're, not, they're not going to let it seem like a the, DA or an EFF victory. They seem like a fucking cult, mate. Have you ever like? seen what they say if there's issues we go through the processes and all the stakeholders and all this other bullshit that's, that's a typical uh, any politician line you know no, but the every challenges single, but every single political party is like a cult right they, everyone's like a cult member of these things they never air their dirty laundry if you do air your dirty laundry you're out so if they are going to play their hand they're not going to do it publicly Okay. All right. So uh, there you go. There's our opinion on Zuma and impeachment and the fact that he ain't going nowhere. Uh, I just want to thank uh, some people we've had who've not sent us hate mail, not sent us death threats, but have been quite complimentary. Um, very frustrating. But Yeah, it's, it's new to me. No one's ever complimented me online before. <laughs> well, normally you're the, you're the 5.30 a.m. racist. So um, to Carl and, and uh, Vaynant. Uh, thanks for your mails. Friedrich, uh, thanks, thanks as well. Uh, great mail from overseas. And then also Richard, who, uh, I think came across us, stumbled across us almost by mistake. Yeah, by mistake. He was listening to another show at Cliff Central, the, the horrible socialist, um, lefty show. Don't worry, Rory and Andrew, we still love you. Um, and he came across us and he found us far more compelling. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right, so thanks, guys. Thanks for your mails. Um, it's nice to know what we're doing right and things you like, things you, you might not like as well. Uh, and then we've had some good feedback on Twitter. So we did ask you to sort of give us ideas on, on what you might want us to discuss. Today, obviously, no guests. Uh, we're just sort of shooting the breeze. 
and uh, you gave us a whole bunch of ideas. Uh, is black nationalism racist? Well, we're not 100% sure. Um, we're going to have, have some guests on uh, in the coming shows who, who we all sort of explore that with. Um, I, I suppose, once again, if we go back to the concept of collective, uh, then you could argue that it is um, under the same reasoning you know, previous guests have given. So you know, Martin van Staden gave some, some really good uh, compelling arguments um, against uh, collectivism and against uh, you know, just this, this concept of black nationalism. So you know, he calls Steve Biko a racist. Uh, on that basis, um, yeah, but I mean, even if it is or isn't racist, like who gives a shit? Like what? What good is it asking that question in the first place? Like, is it just for for I don't know point scoring? Like, I'm not too sure. Yeah, well, I suppose it's uh, maybe maybe the person who asked it uh, wants wants to kind of get to, to some understanding of of people who are or aren't black nationalists. And where they're coming from, but I, I mean, I tend to agree with you. It's uh, what we said with regards to to racism, um, in terms of thought versus action. You know, right. So if you're racist in thought, yeah, and yeah, I mean, I know I know a few people who are black nationalists. Um, yeah, great, mate. Um, what 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 must I do about it? Like, I don't really. The if people could understand that the way you behave. And not what you think is what counts. So if you're an arsehole, you're an arsehole. If you think of, if you have these ideas in your head that somehow make sense to you, but aren't, you know, are deemed stupid or whatever, who cares? No one. It's how you behave. So Andile. Yeah. I, I can never pronounce his surname. Mthidama. That one. I, I'm, I'm a foreigner. And if I got that wrong, fuck you. <laughs> so he's a black nationalist. He's blocked me on Twitter. He's, he's good friends with David Bullard because he said David Bullard is like a real racist and he's honest about it. So they're actually good friends. David Bullard and Nandile. Can you imagine? <laughs> On the basis that at least he's honest about his, his prejudice. Yes, he's, he's honest that, uh, you know, white people came and killed a lot of black people and colonialism existed. And so they get on quite well. Do you think Nandile is going to go to white people and kill them? No, I don't think so. Are the ideas stupid? Yeah, probably. Do I care? No. I think I think people might be worried about the fact that maybe Andile won't do it, but he can probably uh, sort of, you know, motivate a crowd to potentially do something. And then you're going to argue, but the crowd's responsible. No, but that's based on the premise that the people can't make, you know, ideas about their own beliefs up. So they need someone else to do it for them. Like it's... Well, some That's people ridiculous. do. Some people are like. Oh, don't know, get me I mean, wrong. Most people are morons. Um, you know, they <laughs> think they think uh, Cobb Blanche is a is a true source of news on a Sunday. Um, but no, like oh, I don't, I don't, you know, I love how we just insult everyone. It's it's fantastic because <laughs> I mean, if you live in Santon and are listening to the show, you are deeply offended right now. Where do we talk about Tashes? <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, all right. Let's talk about the. the, the Panama Papers. Ooh, so you got a lot of tax avoiders making a huge fuss about other people who are avoiding tax. Rich people Fantastic. put their money in tax havens. Uh, um, it, huge news scoop. Huge. Massive. Absolutely massive. So, um, so let's see. Bears shit, shit in the woods and rich people put their money offshore. I'm shocked. Absolutely fucking shocked. Yeah, I'm also shocked. I'm also battling to see where the big thing is. I think... 
uh, those who are, are shocked and do find this thoroughly interesting uh, are going to tell us, no, well, guys, come on, you know, these guys have, have avoided tax. Um, good. <laughs> so Ramon thinks it's good. Um, I can buy into the argument of, uh, you know, the whole tax avoidance thing only because if I have to pay tax, then so the fuck should they. Um, but, uh, but other than that, is it such a big thing? Am I surprised? Um, no, not really. And uh, if I'm honest, like Kulibusi, right? Yes. Um, Kulibusi's put a whole bunch of money there. We don't even know whether he's paid tax on it or not, whether he's just put money there because South Africa is a quite a shit place. I don't know if you've noticed, those of you with money, it's quite a shit place to have money right now. So he's, he's been a clever businessman and he's put his money in Panama. Far as I can tell, the actual underlying sort of tone and subtext of the criticism of Kulibusi is, fuck you, you're rich, I'm jealous, and how dare you have money in Panama. That's, that's, his, that's kind of what I'm getting. Yeah, I mean, poor people are looking at this all wrong. It's a story of aspiration. Just think, you work hard, your father becomes president, you work harder and you make money all of a sudden, and then, <laughs> then you get to put it wherever you want in the world. That's pure aspiration. And, and, you know, these poor people who are moaning and who, what I don't get, what I don't get, people who don't pay e-tolls, who use every single tax avoidance scheme, you know, legally in the country, uh, who, who refuse to, um, you know, pay more than what he's owed to the state. Now they're moaning about other people not doing the same thing, just on a bit of a larger scale because they have more money. So arguably, if those people had the same opportunity to chuck their money in Panama, they would have. Oh, please. you got people with money stashed in Mauritius yelling about Panama. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. So um, we don't think it's that big a thing. We aren't that interested, actually. And we couldn't, we couldn't care. There's that e-cigarette again. Um, basically, I'm getting um, e-cigarette cancer from, from, from Ramon. Um, no, it's not a real thing. Calm the fuck down. No, but basically, if you have a moralistic stance on how people use their money, you are the most lame socialist the world has ever known. Yeah. And uh, who said that? Oh, Brendan O'Neill from Spiked Online. Go to it. Spiked-online.com. I believe great great magazine yeah guys if you're listening to this show um, then you really need to listen to the sort of referrals we give because a lot of uh, not what we say because I would like to believe a lot of it is is, is genuine and comes from us but uh, a lot of the ideas and a, a lot of the thinking uh, we listen to other people and and we really pick up on on, on some of the stuff that that they're talking about Oh, speak for yourself. I just, I just read the Mail and Guardian. I'm like, oh wow, this is my Bible. I learn everything from the Mail and Guardian. Everything. Absolutely everything. Mail and Guardian is unbelievable. Did you know Musi took leadership lessons from De Klerk? I didn't know that. The cheek. Can you believe it? I thought that was disproven. The fact that De Klerk would actually see a black man and teach him something. I thought the clerk was just completely bad. He didn't deserve that Nobel Prize. I think it's a great story of another aspirational story about black and white coming together and learning something. <laughs> that would be bad because all whites are bad. Anyway, all right. Uh, I didn't say the second part of that, I suppose, because I don't, I don't believe either of it. What else have we, uh, have we got to, to kind of chat about? Ramon, we can't run out of things to talk about. We, no, absolutely not. Um, so should we, should we go back to, um, Roads must fall. I see they were out in full force this um, this week, sexually molesting lesbians, 
Uh, what happened with that? I kind of I didn't pay that much attention. I, I saw that they were doing something uh, illegal. I was kind of like, oh, them again. Well, who knows what it is. But somehow, Chimani Maxwelle, who was the original Rhodes Must Fall instigator in the Cape, came up to Vitz. Yeah. And then they started burning buildings and throwing things around and breaking stuff. And then apparently, I, I saw the story on Twitter, there was a, a, a lesbian woman, a black woman, mm. who was actually sexually assaulted by him. There are, there's photographic evidence for that. And has he been arrested? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Um, but, yeah, so you, you just see, uh, you know, a bunch of entitled people who are, yeah, completely lawless. And uh, hopefully entitled. Are you sure you want to use that word? Uh, listen, if, if you can afford tertiary education for 15 years, you're fucking entitled. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Trumani, you're like fucking 40 years old. You've been in university for 20 years. Get a fucking job. Please. wouldn't even say entitled. He's, he's spoiled at that stage. Uh, we've dropped the F-bomb quite a few times on the show. Um, good thing we're uncensored. Um, for now. Just uh, something interesting I have heard around. So firstly, what's... What you have to note is that roads must fall was a separate structure to fees must fall. They were not linked in any way whatsoever. Roads must fall was about removing a stupid statue at a Capetonian university. Fees must fall was about stopping a registration fee of 6,000 Rand or something like that to register at WITS in first year or any year for that matter. That's what the two movements were originally about. Now we've got them joining together and some people are going, yeah, I liked Fees Must Fall originally, but um, now that it's political, I don't like it so much. So let me clear that up for you. You were basically fooled and were, were foolish uh, in liking them in the first place because Fees Must Fall never had anything to do with the fees, guys. You need to keep eyes on the prize. You need to stop reading Mail and Guardian as religiously as uh, Ramon and any other sort of local paper because unfortunately our journalists do not interrogate things as well as they should. So, were there students who couldn't afford fees? Absolutely. Uh, should those students have been helped and should those students have been able to study? Absolutely. No one disagrees on those basic principles. But you need to understand something about the structures at SRCs around this country. And I'll use WITS as an example because I know it well. The WITS SRC is a stepping stone to the ANC. There are many people who have done this. You can Google past Vitz SRC presidents and you will see that 70 to 80% of them in the last 20 years are now in government or have been involved in government or have been CEOs of governmental organizations, etc. It's very much a stepping stone, but the trick is this. You cannot be a law-abiding good student while you are on the Vitz SRC and are in a leadership position there. Because if you are, you will not get noticed. So you need to do something to get noticed. You either need to burn down a library, as was done many years ago, 2007, 2008, I think. Or you need to try assault other students with, with, with uh, improvised weapons, as happened also several years ago. I think that was 2009, 2010. You just have to do something to stand out. So you have to understand that context of the SRC. The other thing you need to understand is that the outsourcing complaint that suddenly came up about two weeks into the fees must fall. This had been a fight going on for years at WITS because WITS had basically uh, outsourced their cleaning staff, etc., to private companies. And so uh, what had happened is the unions came along and said, no, 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 this will not do. So basically how it works is 
SRC says, look, what we'll do is we will get you, your, your staff, your unionized people back into the university. Uh, and therefore, when we want to shut down the university, you will help us. We, we, you know, we scratch your back, you scratch ours. And so there's a lot more happening in terms of the political spectrum here than is just a poor student who can't afford to pay for university. Jonathan, are you saying that the hashtag does not actually mean what the movement's about? <laughs> I am flabbergasted. Completely sure. I, it, it's fine. I don't, I don't mind um, them being sort of nefarious and, and lying about their motives. Uh, that's that's all, all okay. You would expect that from these types of organizations. Uh, that I understand. No, but there's argument that they actually did not want an increase in their fees, right? And they got it um, from the state. Yeah, and then, but, but and then it, fees must fall but, like. But if, that, if, that's what they, that. if that's what they really wanted, then surely they shouldn't exist anymore. Except they do, and they still have been complaining. And uh, even though you don't necessarily hear about them on the news all the time, these guys are active all the time. I was at Vitz the other day uh, before this latest sort of violence uh, broke out. And there was a guy standing at the office where people, the cashiers, where people pay their fees, and he was standing and just preaching, basically. EFF t-shirt on uh, and preaching about the university and the management and not saying very polite things, as you can imagine, um, which, fine, is freedom of speech to do. But understand that nothing went away because fees fell, and fees also didn't fall, really. What they did was they said, all right, we're not increasing fees for the, for the, for the current year. Um, which basically has completely knobbed the university and the students studying there. Well, do you know what's delicious? Have you have you gone through Adam Habib's um, Twitter timeline lately? Uh, no. He's responding to a lot of issues of students. So students are saying, oh, Mr. Habib, there's no Wi-Fi here, even though it says there are. And, he, and he's saying budget cuts. He says, uh, yeah, we're fixing it. Look at how many complaints he's received lately about just services yeah. in the university. So, so I can tell you academic journals uh, – the university had to cut back on the scientific journals. Yeah, but that's uh, all that's all white people's studies, man. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's colonial knowledge. I mean, we don't want that here. It's, it's Western ideas. Very dangerous. Very dangerous is Africa. We need African ideas. I'm still waiting to hear a solely African idea, <laughs> to be honest, um, because, you know, ideas – are not are universal. They, yeah, and they're not they're not based on your nation state, believe it or not. They're based on the people who originated them. Yeah, it's uh, and, oh sorry, if yeah. I may. And if you don't want to if you if you think Western ideas are so um evil, then stop being a fucking Marxist for God's sake. What do you think that's about? Do you think it was made in, in fucking Deep Cliff? No. It's it, made in Britain. Uh, but as far as I yeah, and then but you see, it's kinda like as soon as you cross cross into East Germany and beyond, uh, then it's okay. If the ideas were kind of really pioneered in those areas, then it's, you know, if, if, if the Russians did it at some point, then it's okay. Uh, that seems to be a vibe. Yeah, what? Are, are they like, are they like, I don't know, was, was Africanness like given to them through some means they were not aware of? It is so odd. It's just some ideas though. So the New York Times cannot say, oh, Zuma must, you know, resign. But Marx can tell you how to run the fucking economy. And that's not, you know, and, and, and th that is not a subversion of the state. Like, people are morons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they are, um, because they, they don't reason through things and they don't rationalize through things. Um, what, was, what do you mean they? Well, they, you people. Um, so 
some people uh, asked us to, we discussed a fair amount on politics. That was part of uh, what people said they wanted. Um, you also wanted us to discuss uh, a bit more about ourselves. Um, now, we're uh, we're not sure really how to do that. Uh, so I'm sure telling you uh, what I had for breakfast this morning and uh, what I'm doing tonight is not um, interesting. Uh, so we imagine our ideas on things is what you really want to know about. And we don't mind giving you some of that, but the reality is these this will all come out. I, I think if you listen to the first six shows, you'll you'll know where I stand on a lot of things. You'll know where Ramon stands on a lot of things. Um, Ramon, you want to contribute to more about yourself? I mean, what soap did you use this morning? I, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> no, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, so I, I believe everything should be privatized. Nation states shouldn't exist. I believe in enclaves of. Uh, People living in a city that are free to leave whenever they want to, to determine their own rules collectively. No passports? Um, well, you can have passports, but here's the thing. If you have no nations, it doesn't mean, you know, anarchism doesn't mean no rules. It means no rulers. So in an ideal situation, you would have a lot of different societies living together with their own rules, but you'll be free to leave one if you don't want to be there. So you can have a Marxist society. You can have a capitalist one. You can have whichever one you have, and they will be competing against each other all the time. They just choose not to live there. Due to trade. And, yeah, if you don't want to live in the Marxist one, you don't have to. If you happen to be born there, you can leave if you want to. It's not like this nation state here where people say, oh, you're not happy immigrates. Yeah, it's fucking expensive. And where must I go? Australia. Well, like what? Full of great white sharks and spiders and other... Ex white, you know, white South Africans. Who the fuck wants to live there anyway? So, um, yeah, so I don't believe in, in, in states at all. I see the pragmatic reasons for it, but I do think that in, you know, a few centuries we will look back and think oh, states, you know, it's like sort of like the slavery argument. It was very, very publicized, was worldwide, and then it was abolished, you know, mm-hmm. within, within a few, within a few decades. The, the same thing is going to happen for states, I think. So, I mean, I don't really have much against that argument. I think we might, in, in sort of centuries' time, be in a position where we don't have states and we, we look back on it and go, what the hell were they thinking? Um, but, I mean, I stand at the moment, I, I don't have a problem with states. Um, I think that they should be a lot smaller. So I take a quite a libertarian view on that. I don't agree. See, this is the problem with labels because if I say I'm a libertarian, then – um, yeah, I'm a libertarian, but I don't agree with everything that libertarianism sort of stands for. So, yeah, just, I mean, I think it's just important to to just say what type of principles you believe in. I think that's more helpful to people rather than labels. Yeah. So I believe in absolute free speech. I believe in absolute freedom that doesn't harm others. I believe in legalization of drugs, prostitution, any conceptual thing you can think of. I believe in legalizing it. Okay, so I'm um, I'm a conservative on the show. Um, in 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 the sense it. that, <laughs> in the sense that, I suppose uh, next to Ramon, I'm, I'm much more conservative. So I, I've said, I've uh, you know, drug legalization. I'm in, in essence, I'm okay with it, um, but I have a problem with the social um, problems that it can potentially cause. If you're in a position to compensate for those, uh, then I'm fine with it. Uh, it's the same reason I agree. I believe in social nets to an extent. Uh, so I, I, you know, I'm I'm for capitalism, but I do understand states and and sort of social welfare. I I don't like the concept of the way we have it set up. 
Um, we've discussed uh, privately, um, you know, something like a, a wage, um, sorry, a, a, a universal basic a universal income. Basic income. I, 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 principally, I like that idea more than I like the current social welfare. I don't think we've got a sustainable system in South Africa, you know, paying whatever many social grants. We've raised the point. Is it that much money? It's, it's irrelevant. Uh, it, it, it would we, Everyone can agree it would be better to have less people on social welfare and more people kind of more employed, employed and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, earning their own money, doing whatever they want with it, uh, doing whatever they want with their lives. Uh, I don't think anyone really wakes up in the morning wanting to just sit at home and do bugger all. Um, you know, there are, and that's the point. There are a few people who do actually wake up like that, uh, you, you know, in, in times of, of real economic prosperity in the first world or the developed world, you know, Germany's and, and your America's, Canada's, uh, they always have unemployment because some people, just want to be unemployed. So yeah, sure. That's I mean, understandable. I mean, despite being an anarchist, I do see the fact that we live in a, in a state a statist world. I mean, I do see practical outcomes of policy that we have, right? Mm. So what, you know, so, and we can see from, from precedent, from studies, uh, from emulating other countries, uh, studying those policies, we can see what works and what doesn't, you know, what doesn't work. Very, very rigid labor laws without mm. a productive um, workforce. So in Germany, they got rigid labor laws. Yes, but they got a fucking highly developed workforce, right? Mm. Here we got we got all the regulations of the first world, and we have we're actually a third world country. Yeah. Um. So we try to be like, oh, uh, you know, we accede to international standards. Yeah, bullshit. We're not. Up to international standards. Our economy is bullshit. I also think, you know, we've, we've got a sort of, kind of trifecta, which is that sort of almost third world. Um, we've got these sort of rigid labor laws, which, which can't kind of function in that environment. And then we've got the unions who are very, very powerful here. Well, they're, they're politically connected, right? Yeah. Well, and they, they control politics in, in many sense. Yeah, but the end of the, many senses. Their, their membership is dropping and all the, the only members are coming from the public sector. How can, how can you have a public sector of three million people and they're the ones that are most unionized? Well, well, Who this, are they fighting against? They're their own bosses. One of, the, one of the, in my opinion, probably the single biggest indicator which points to a potential failed state, which is that we have uh, a country which is now the public sector is, <laughs> I think, the largest employer. So, uh, you know, that that is just not long-term sustainable. No, of course not. All these people, you know, cost money. Etc. Etc. But um, okay, well, on to other things. Like, what else do I believe in? Um, Let's talk about about. Uh, we haven't done it on the show. Let's talk a little okay. bit about um, feminism. Um, you know, I'm a feminist. Yeah. So I think I am too. Um, but I, first wave. Yeah. So that's that's where we want to just explain to the listeners kind of the progression of of feminism. Right. Well, feminism started in the 19th century, and uh, the the big the big major contribution was the you know universal suffrage so women got together and wanted to vote you know some of them said no we don't care about voting a lot did and they got the votes and then that was essentially first wave feminism and then you know there were a few other ones especially during world war Two, when the men left their jobs and women took over and they did a very good job and they said fine now we want to work as well we want to be treated under the law equally and it was brilliant until then. And then you got like second wave with like the seventies, eighties. Yeah, burning bras and things are oppression if you're wearing a bra and 
all this other bullshit. And then today, it's like if you just look at a woman, it's rape and like it's it's, it's yeah. So, utter th- so so I think first and second wave feminism is I don't have an issue with. I mean, I think second wave got a probably started some of it bordered on the ridiculous, but it, it, the the outcomes. The outcomes where we were, let's say, in the year 2000, um, we had achieved feminism to a large extent in the West. Um, and this is the other – we're going to get to the hypocrisy of, of third-wave yeah. feminism. There's no need for but, feminism in the West anymore. So women are essentially equal. They are treated as equal to men. Well, they are, they're doing a lot better. They've they got far more degrees. They're graduating far far more than men. Uh, they get murdered less often. They get all sorts of benefits. They get uh, less, you know, less jobs um, – Less shitty jobs. They don't get killed on the job. This is all fact, by the way. These these yeah. are there are statistics to support this. Right. So I mean, if, if you're in the West, I mean, as a feminist, basically, um, you're like an unemployed socialist. So you need to write about your depression because someone, some man on the train had his legs open a bit too wide for you. Yeah. So this is third wave feminism. Third wave feminism says we have a rape culture when we don't. Um, and 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 please, I'm not saying we, for example, in South Africa, don't have a rape problem. We do. Yeah, but we're not a first world um, country. So we're talking so, about the yeah, West. So we're talking about the West. I, I would argue, you know, South Africa is kind of split in some ways because if you take just our middle class, we're very much a first world country. Yes. Um, and amongst that group, we don't have a rape culture. It's it's very no. simple. Uh, and so th- there's these myths being perpetuated about how women are constantly in the West under threat. Uh, from men, men looking at them as a violent action, touching them is rape, pretty much. Uh, there are, there are sort of prominent feminists, uh, third wave feminists in the world who have, who are arguing that, you know, you, if a man touches you, that is rape. Yeah, but, but what it is now, third wave feminism is, is socialism with panties. They just want the state to come and intervene and to give all sorts of benefits to women only and, as a cisgendered white male, your opinion shouldn't really count because you have privilege, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They just want the big states to come in and give them benefits to people who don't des- who really have them. They're yeah. already equal under the law, for fuck's sake. So, you see, I, I don't even see it that way because I, I don't. What do they want exactly? I mean, for example, the wage gap it doesn't exist. So you know this argument about the wage gap. Uh, it's been disproven. It, it, the, the whole one dollar to seventy-seven cents it doesn't exist. Yes, if you take a woman who takes four years of work in a thirty-year period and a man who doesn't, and then you work out what they earned in thirty years, it's obvious that the person who worked for four years less is going to have earned less than the guy who the person who worked. Yeah, for but four women years make longer. different choices to men. They don't. They prefer to work part time. They prefer to have families. They prefer to. And some do, and some don't. And yeah. those and those who don't make those choices earn, um, more than earn more than men, or earn the same as men. So the wage gap is 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 absolute nonsense. What I mean, what do you think they want the law to change to? I don't understand. You know, men to be put in concentration camps. What what is the? Well, one well known one did say that they should put all men in. Um, in on an island. Yeah. Her name's Julie Bindle. I don't know if she was actually being serious because she's actually quite fun uh, on Twitter. She said, no, put all men on the island. We'll bring, you know, a few over. They can, you know, impregnate us. Then we'll put them back there. Like it was a bit of a weird dystopian <laughs> article I read. But no, it's, it's a bunch of people who have unlimited victimhood, uh, who are very, you know, unhappy with who they are. So they're looking for salvation through the and, states. And most importantly to me, they don't, 
give a shit about the women who are actually being mistreated, where first wave feminism hasn't even reached, uh, you know, in, in, in sort of pretty much anywhere east of yeah. Europe. I'll tell you a little story. So Anita Sarkeesian is a well-known feminist. Her, her shtick is that, you know, video games cause violence. Mm. So she, you know, she went to Kickstarter. She got 200, no, she got more. She got $200,000, I believe, to make videos. It, it wouldn't have mattered. If it was, it was $5,000, it was ridiculous. No, well, she asked for 6000 that she got like 60 or 70 or 100, somewhere around there, to make five videos. She made three of them over the course of two years. Now, she's asked for an extra $200,000 to make videos on good, you know, women in the historical context, on, on female pirates and who knows what else. Yeah, great. Then you have someone called the Amazing Atheist. He's this curmudgeonly atheist guy on YouTube. And he says, I'll run a Kickstarter, $200,000. All proceeds will go to uh, Syrian women, Syrian refugees. Okay, that sounds noble. Yeah, but obviously feminists don't give to him because he's a misogynist bastard and he's white, etc., etc. He has raised half the money Anita has. So Anita is doing videos and she gets funded. He gives money to Syrian female refugees, and he doesn't get funded. How is that for irony? And and yeah, well, I mean, it's and that's the whole problem. It's 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 a great example, and we know that you know we're complaining about um, man spreading, which is literally men spreading their legs. Uh, you know, it's how you sit is is now sexist. Um, when you know women are being beaten. Um, or being um, killed, they're, they're sex if, slaves. Well, not only that. I mean, in, in you know, you take uh, some of the the countries, Saudi Arabia as an example. You sleep with another man who happens not to be your husband. Uh, I think we can all agree uh, that that's an act between two adults. So you know, in some cases, it's not even the case because because of the power sort of structure in that country. If a man wants to sleep with you, you don't get to say no. So a man rapes you. Uh, and it's, but he's not your husband. You're the one who gets punished. Right. It's, it's, it's completely, but no one, no one in, in sort of feminism is raising these sort of issues. Uh, and the ones who are, aren't getting, you know, acknowledged or, or publicized. But back to South Africa, yeah. if you're a feminist and you're not talking about, uh, the, the bigotry and hate crimes against gays and lesbians in townships and rural areas, you cannot be a feminist. I'm sorry to say, you cannot at all. That is probably the biggest form of discrimination that we face that is leading to actual murder. And, yeah, and, and no one says actual anything. murder, actual violence, uh, actual hate crimes. I, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it myself. I've treated the victims. Yeah, so. I can imagine. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's a crime of pure hate. There's nothing else there where they slash you know, genitals with, with bottles and whatever. It's, it's pure hate. Mm, and in the rest of Africa, we've got a huge female genital mutilation problem. Yeah. Which is basically from the same bullshit. Yeah, but it's their culture, Jonathan. Don't dare you criticize the fucking culture. Yeah, it's about time we started uh, getting rid of bad ideas in cultures and uh, re basically reforming those cultures. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's a separate argument entirely altogether. But nevertheless, so, I mean, you can see every every few episodes, we're going to take a solo episode, just Jonathan and I. And I hope you can see what sort of, you know, how we think and what ideas we, we have. I mean, we will give you more resources in the future <clears throat> about books we're reading or documentaries we're watching. 
But um, I hope you get to know us a bit more during the course of this hour. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Uh, so thanks, guys. Um, uh, we really appreciate the support. Uh, we're going to continue the show. Uh, more mails, Renegade Report Mailbox at gmail.com. Obviously, uh, Ramon on Twitter, it's spelled at Roman Kabanek. Uh, myself at Jonathan underscore Wit. And uh, our uh, Facebook page for the Renegade Reports. You can just search for us. Uh, please like the page. Uh, we post good stuff up on there. And then Twitter, uh, it's uh, at Renegade underscore reports. We're quite active. We'll reply to you. Uh, and we really appreciate uh, all your involvement. So until the next one, uh, we're going to call it a day. I'm going to put my radio voice back on. Thank you so much and goodbye. Revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.